Welcome. This is Talking Joy, creating joy, inner peace, and authentic connections. My name is Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and I am founder of lifestyle brand Talking Joy. As a certified spiritual director, I have been leading groups with the power of words, the strength of positivity, and the gift of joy. During our time together, our focus will be on simple spiritual practices that can be applied to your everyday life with the wisdom and support of others. Talking Joy talks to help you realize your value. I am so glad you're here. Simple, joyful, fun. Let's get talking. Jackie, welcome to the Talking Joy podcast. I'm so glad you're here today and you're going to talk about your uh, journey um, to wholeness in uh, in the AA program and some, some being sober for 13 years. You know, congratulations on that. Um, you know, you look amazing and, and beautiful. Okay. I didn't didn't know you before, but there's a definite brightness about you. And I just thought we could talk um, to help other women. Uh, I did a talk recently with uh, a nutritionist that I've been doing a couple series with, and um, we did a blog together on my website. um, And we talked about women and drinking and during the pandemic, how you know, there aren't any weekends anymore that every night's a weekend. And a lot of people are drinking now more than ever and sort of turning to that glass of wine at the end of the day, um, you know, we're looking at the clock and waiting until it's five o'clock so that they can have a drink to take the edge off. You know, life has been more stressful than, you know, than we could have ever expected in this last year for a lot of people, for most of us. And so I thought that this would be really helpful for a woman to talk about her experience. Um, We talked a little bit before we went on air about you know, you're growing up in a completely normal household and you're one of five and it's not like you had some childhood trauma, you know, and that there's this reason why it happened to you. Um, and um, so I just thought we'd start there, you know, welcome. And, you know, thanks thanks for your vulnerability and your honesty and, and wanting to join me and tell your story today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I mean, I guess I'll just go into a little bit of my backstory to introduce myself to everybody. Um, yeah, as you were saying, I literally was from a very normal, very normal family. I mean, you could pick it apart. Everybody, you know, it's a family, <laughs> but I mean, there was no, as you said, there was no trauma. I'm not from divorce. I was, you know, I'm most, my family is mostly like an Italian Catholic family, Um, I was born and raised into that Catholic religion, but it wasn't very, in our household, it wasn't like completely strict, but I did all the sacraments and everything that they did. I was even part of youth group, you know, Mm -hmm. when I was a teenager. I, and when I, growing up, I was a cheerleader. I was a cheerleader for basically my whole life from like third grade until I graduated high school. And I even coached it a little bit when I was in college for a little bit. Um, And when I was in college for a little bit, I was in a sorority. So I was very normal very normal life. I did go to some parties when I was a kid, also normal. You know, I did have like, you know, some drinks here and there, but it wasn't like, I wasn't like getting drunk. You know, I had, you know, just fun. Um, But the whole time, and as far back as I can remember, I just never felt like I quite fit in. It's very, you know, and it's odd because I never, it's not like I didn't have friends. I was always surrounded by people. I always had friends. I had a very big family, a very loving family. You know, um, my grandparents were always there. My parents, my brothers, my sister, 
it was just, and like I said, always had friends. I was never without, but I just never felt like I fit in. Like even in high school, even being a cheerleader, I was also part of multiple groups. And it was almost like, because I didn't know who I was, I almost didn't want anybody getting close enough to me. Mm. So everybody, like I knew everybody, pe- people knew me as part of all these different groups. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything that, um, I don't know. I just don't know where it was, where it came from. And then, you know, after I graduated in high school. Um, it's very common, I think, for people to feel like that. I think most of us feel like that. Um, and I think that the work that you've done is that all that love that you were getting on the outside from your family, you started to give yourself on the inside, I think, when when you finally got sober later, years later. Would you agree with that? I do agree with that because um, <laughs> after after I did graduate high school, I did go to college, um, but that's where I, like it started to become very dark inside. Mm. Um, and, you know, I did go to college. I didn't really want to be there because I didn't know what I wanted to do, you know. Um, and I'm still working that out and which is okay, which I love <laughs> is that it's still okay to do that. But, um, you know, I started in the restaurant business about the same time I started in college. So like 16, 17, 18 years old, I was, I actually started in the restaurant business at 16 as a hostess. Um, but, um, you know, that was, it was a big part of my life because it actually was my life. It was my career for a long time. But during that time in college and, you know, in the restaurant business, I, uh, you know, I just, from 18, um, on, I was just, I, I was drinking a lot. Um, at first it was fun. Uh, and then it was not fun. <laughs> so what's the turning point right there? Yeah. Um, going from fun to not being fun. It happens. <laughs> I mean, it happens to a lot of us. It actually sneaks up on us. Mm. And that's, I think, what people don't realize because I was also surrounded by, because being in the restaurant business, my family does like to party and drink. It, it is. A lot of people's families do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're surrounded by a lot of people that, you know, kind of drink like you and are acting like you, you think it's okay until you start feeling, like I said, until it stopped being fun and internally, I think very slowly I was like, you know, trying to numb some pain, you know, um, they call it self-medicating. And I was definitely doing that because I didn't understand what was, I just couldn't like that, that feeling of not fitting in just, it, it, it graduated to more of like, I really started to internally just not like myself. Mm-hmm. And um, so I- So what did the alcohol do for you? It's, it started with a numbness. Um, it started and it was, like I said, it was fun in the beginning because it kind of like, it made me forget about this whole, like, um, anybody who knows me knows I'm like a social butterfly. I like, I seem like this social butterfly, but I do feel this, like, um, I always have this in my head, like, um, are these people talking about me? Like, are they, do these people really like me? Like, it's always like this internal conversation and the drinking, I always thought made it go away. Mm. but as it's such a slippery slope because what it really does is that that numbness and stuff it just kind of makes it worse and it starts twisting your thoughts because then you start doing things that you normally wouldn't do Mm. when you're not drunk is that like your inhibition type yeah it kind of lowers and then it start you start doing things that you normally wouldn't do and then it just kind of like you said your inhibitions kind of go away and then it's like 
And then that's where it starts getting confusing. And that's where that line is drawn. Mm. And you start chasing that, okay, I want to feel this numbness, but I want to stop, you know, acting out this way. And then again, like I said, it starts getting confusing because you don't know where to go from there. And then all of a sudden, one day you realize that's it. I can't stop drinking because I need this. So you know what you just said that was like that I caught and I've heard this before from from other people that are in, that are sober is that it sneaks up on you. And I think it's important for the listeners to hear is that, you know, we start these habits and you just it's a little bit, it's a little bit. And then there's this crossover point where you became dependent on it and it was, you were no longer in the driver's seat. It was driving you. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's also when people ask me about this, cause there are people that um, ask me a lot who have like, you know, people who maybe are drinking heavy in their life or, you know, people who are using drugs heavily in their life. And they ask me questions about like, control and why can't they stop and this and that. And I'm like, and, or like when it's too much, too much, mm. there's no answer to that. Unfortunately, yeah. like you can't just like say somebody's drinking heavy just because somebody's drinking heavy. Like, let's say you have a teenager in college, you know, a kid in college and they're like going out and partying all the time that, and they, they look like they're kind of doing the wrong things. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be an alcoholic or a drug addict. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it's that sneak up on you. I'm telling you, yeah. I, I, that's, I think that's a really true valid point that it's, it's a process just like anything that we go out and do and over and over and over again. And it becomes, you know, sort of our way of life. Um, at what point uh, did your big loving family start to notice they really, I mean, they did. I worried my parents. I was like, you know, I was doing things, but again, it wasn't really, I think because I, it started to get noticed when um, my, I call, I like to call it my disease. Um, because when I drank, I ended up, I was a binge blackout drinker. It wasn't like I was a daily drinker. I wasn't drunk all the time. I would, when I drank though, I couldn't stop. Hmm. And so I would usually drink into like a blackout or, or a semi-blackout. And I would never sober drive drunk, but my disease always told me it was a good idea to drive drunk. Mm -hmm. So um, towards the end, it was the last year or so I was real, no, well, the last year I was drinking, I, was, I actually had a DUI, I lost my license. But um, the year before that, it was getting bad. And I had some very close calls. Thank God I never hurt anybody. Um, but that was actually a, that's when it started to get really scary for me. Like very scary because, and I also started to realize um, how much I hated myself at that point because um, I started to realize that I actually didn't care what happened to me. I was actually more terrified for everybody else around me. Parts of my drunk driving and you know what I mean? Like I, I could, I could have really hurt somebody and thank God I didn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but then I also realized that was, it was a turning point because that was another turning point, like, you know, going lower is because I realized like I started to wake up every day and I just didn't want to live. Mm. And like I said, my, my story is like, it's a fast, it was a fast slope, 18 to 25. 
that all happened in what, what was that six, maybe six years, seven years. Yeah. And I, in some down. ways you're, you're one of the lucky ones Yeah, <laughs> because, um, you know, it can take others 20, 30 years or never to, to kind of, you know, come around to wanting to get sober and, you know, live a different life. The reason I asked you about your family is because, well, usually it's the, in, in, let me back up a little bit. You had said before we went on to air that you were in the restaurant business from an early age, and maybe you just didn't mention that. Um, you said that that was a place where you could hide. Tell me yep. a little bit about that. Um, well, I use the restaurant business is easy to hide in, especially if you have, <laughs> especially if you have a disease like I do, um, because it is, it's a, it's an environment where you're in a different, you're living a different life than everybody else. You're working a lot. Like, I mean, if you want to make money in that business, you work a lot and the hours are different because people who hold like, let's say normal job hours, they're going to go out to eat at night. They're going to go out to eat on the holidays. They're going to go out to eat on the weekends. So it's like, that's when you work and your shifts are usually like, they're really, it's very rare if the shift is less than like nine, 10 hours, very rare. So you're literally working like six, maybe six days a week, like sometimes 12, 13 hour shifts and you're working like <laughs> nights, weekends, holidays. So it's really easy to, because when my drinking started to progress, it was kind of like a hand in hand because I was always with these people. One of the best ways to let off steam after work was going to the bar. Yeah. And we all did it together. So that's like, you know, so my, it's hard for people around you to see if you're working in the restaurant business because you're never home. And the people you are drinking with, they drink just like you basically mm-hmm. almost. So it's really with like-minded people and, and you get away with it. And and it seems acceptable because you're like, well, they're all doing the same thing that I am. You know, it's just like, I, I, uh, I had a neighbor that moved in and she wanted to come over for cocktails one day at like four o'clock in the afternoon. And I thought, no way I'm not (laughs) playing that game. This was years ago. And I thought, no, no way am I. And and so I'm sure she found somebody else to have a cocktail with her at four o'clock in the afternoon but it wasn't going to be me. And yeah. my mind, you know, pushed her away because I knew something like that would not be a healthy choice, even though it could be kind of fun to sit around on the patio while your kids are all running around um, and doing that. <laughs> but I just thought, you know, I, I was conscious enough to know that you really need to surround yourself with like-minded people, with good people that are going to lift you up and I think that when you're not in a great place, that you'll find other people that are not in a great place because your behavior becomes, you know, the norm or acceptable. Um, and so you were saying that, that it was a great place to hide your alcoholism because you were not available on holidays, you know, any kind of a family thing. You had work, work, work as an excuse. Um, did the work ever bleed into or the drinking bleed into the work um, or affect your work at all? Again, that's a, that's another thing where I was a little like, I mean, there's a lot of people that have that story. That was not my story, um, which I always, I, I like to talk about because I like, I really, really stress that like, you know, a lot, there are people that don't, you know, there are a few people that, you know, go through what I go through and it's hard for them to say, think that they're an alcoholic because I literally, I worked and I was one of those people that just like, I was a hard worker and I was continually moving up in my job. Like I was always the one they relied on. 
You know, I think this is actually a, a really good point because I could be, you know, working, I could be a mom and I could be completely managing my life. Then I had this, this is really important because, and you said this too, before we went on the air, the alcoholic, isn't that guy that you see that you walk past when you get off the train in New York city and you think, Oh, look, that poor soul passed out. That's it's you, it's me. It's, it's, you know, everybody that you walk past on the sidewalk, it's, it's in everybody's families. And we, we don't talk about it. You know, it's a big secret. And, and I think it's so important that you said that, that you were completely functional. You were doing your job, you were moving up the ladder, you were in an environment that, that fed it, hit it, fed it, and that you were, you were successful. And I think that that's really important to say that because, People can be an alcoholic and be managing their lives. It doesn't mean that, you know, all the wheels are falling off all the time. You, you can kind of compartmentalize it, maybe. Is that what I'm hearing? Um, a little bit. It was, it, it was more of the fact that um, it does eventually, what happens with alcoholism or addiction is that eventually that's what your life revolves around. And, um, what happened was, is that I realized, well, I also, at the time I loved being in the restaurant business cause I was young, you know, it was like that environment. It was fun. Like I said, I had a lot of friends in the business. Um, and it, and I was, I, I mean, I'm not going to like, you know, this is not me trying to be considered, but I was good at it, you know? And so I didn't want to do anything to mess up that job because I also knew that if I didn't have that money, mm. I couldn't drink the way I wanted to. And because at the time I was like in the midst of my biggest alcoholic portion of my life, I was like 23, 24, you know, and I couldn't, I didn't, I wasn't thinking long-term. I didn't know what I wanted to be, you know? So at the time I was like, Oh, this is it. This is what I want to do. This is the best job for me. Um, And it was also feeding into my addiction, but I didn't realize that I was in so far into the addiction at the time because it happened so fast for me. Yeah. Which I think think is a blessing. Um, You know, that you're sitting here today and, and sober and being able to tell your story. Um, So tell me about that moment when you, it was enough, you had had enough. Um, (laughs) This is this kind of, well, real quick, I do want to share a quick story because I think people can identify with this. Um, I, uh, this was two months before I came into the program and I will never, ever forget this. I lost my license, but I like, you know, I was still, I still had money cause I was working and I went to visit my friend who was bartending and I just went, I just wanted to get dinner and just hang out with her for like a half hour while she was bartending. I had no intention to drink none whatsoever. I was maybe there 15 minutes and I ordered a drink. And before it even hit my lips, I remember thinking, why am I drinking this? I don't even want this. Mm. And then I proceeded to drink into a blackout. And I, and I always share that because I will never forget that. And then two months after that, I went into the IDRC program to like, you know, get my license back. And um, there's a whole story behind it. And it's like, you know, if anybody, <laughs> if you want to hear it eventually, it's just, it's longer. So I, I don't want to tell it. It's kind of funny though, what happened to me in IDRC classes, but there was this gentleman who came in to speak from the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he was like an 80 year old man. And at the time when I was 25 and I remember him telling his story and, 
And this is important to identify and not compare. I could have compared like crazy, like, oh, I never did that. I never did that. But the things that he was saying, I was like, he's telling what I do. Mm-hmm. And, and that scared me. But um, I went to work the next night after those classes were over. And I remember after work, you get like a free shift drink or whatever. And I swore, swore up and down. I wasn't going to drink. Wasn't going to drink. And then I was there about an hour just hanging out with my friends. And then I was like, one martini is not going to kill me. And then I drank into my last and final blackout because Mm -hmm. the next morning I woke up and I don't remember any of this, but apparently I got out of my friend's car after they drove me home and I face planted and I cut open my chin and I was bleeding everywhere. My arm was all messed up. And I remember my room was just a disaster and there was blood all over my pillow. And I woke up and I was terrified. Mm -hmm. I was so terrified. And you had no memory of this. None. And I still don't. I really don't remember what exactly happened. I had to be told what happened. And I was just like, that's it. I'm done. I was like, I don't want to die, but I don't want to live. I don't know what to do. I need to stop this. I am scared of myself. I am scared of what I can do to other people if I keep drinking like this. And I knew though, I knew that if I didn't stop when I did, I was going to die. I, I, I know I say to this day, I think maybe I had another two years left to me because of how fast my addiction was going. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can't, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, amazing. It's amazing. Just like, you know, as a spiritual director and somebody who, who teaches spiritual practices. And I talk a lot about how um, God or the sacred or your higher power, whoever that is for you speaks to us in many ways. And that 80 year old man came with a message, yep. right? Yep. For many. And what a gift, you know, to be able to, and here you are sharing your gift, your journey, your story on this platform. You know, I, I, I feel choked up because I feel like he appeared as a blessing. And often we don't receive, you know, we pass it off or we're not ready. You weren't, it's not quite the time yet. You still needed to have that one last bender that one last blackout, you know, and then waking up, you know, with your arm beat up and a bloody chin and, you know, and all of that. And then being in that, that, in that in-between space, like, I don't want to live, but I don't want to die. And so, so what happened next? Um, I basically like freaked out. I was supposed to work. Um, I, I was still bartending, right. I called up my job. And again, like I said, I was such a good employee. I called up my job and I was freaking out. That was my first phone call. As soon as I wake up, I was like, I cannot come in today. And I don't know when I'm going to be back. So I need to check myself in the rehab. It was like, literally like, I need, I cannot do this anymore. And my job, bless them. They were just, they were just like, that's okay. Go get the help you need. And we will be here if, and when you want to come back. I love that. And then I ran downstairs because I was living with my parents at the time. I ran downstairs and I was like, mom, you need to take me to the hospital. I need help. Mm. And she started freaking out because of course no, no one in my family has ever dealt with anything like this. So she started freaking out. It was really funny. Did you ever see the movie Terms of Endearment? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It was really funny because we get to the hospital and my mom was so confused. She didn't know what to do. I'm sitting there crying. And then she starts like banging on the desk at the hospital. Somebody's got to help my daughter. And it was like the whole scene from Terms of Endearment. It's really funny. Um, I can laugh about it now. But but, um, actually what ended up happening was, is that I get home and my whole family had a lot of questions, except for my father. Cause my father was actually, he's, he, he was a health and phys ed teacher in union for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, did you say 40 years? 
40 years. And he was just like, thank God the system works. Mm. And sorry, I'm going to get a little choked up because we're not a very touchy feely, like I love you kind of family. But that was the first time in a long time. I remember my father hugging me Mm. and saying, thank God the system works. But I was sitting there and then after, because after we got home from the hospital, after that happened, um, I had one of my best friends went into the program four and a half years earlier than I did. And I saw what it did for her. And I called her and she took me to my first meeting that night. And look at the the moments of grace in here. You've got an 80 year old man who comes and gives this talk and the words landed on your heart for sure. And something started to move. You know, you had this last blackout, you know, your mom, your fierce mom goes (laughs) flying, takes you to the hospital. You've had this tender, beautiful moment with your dad. And then you remember this friend who you probably wanted to, I'm guessing, ignore the fact that she was sober when you weren't. And I still hung out with her, but kind of, yes, <laughs> kind of. It was more like I kind of strayed away from her because she was getting sober and I was getting more drunk. And it wasn't like we had a fight or anything. We still hung out and stuff. And I wouldn't drink, obviously, when she was around. But And I was really respected her sobriety when I was drinking. But at the time, I didn't equate it to that that was something I needed. Mm, of course. So when I did, I was like, I knew exactly who I needed to call. And it was just, it was awesome. It was amazing. Are you guys still friends today? Yes. Yes. I mean, obviously with life and stuff, you know, we don't get to not, not, I'm not even just talking quarantine. It's like, you know, we both have one of the beauties of getting sober is that I have this huge life and it's like, it happens. And it's like, and another beauty of the program is, is that I do understand that, you know, through working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and living them every day is that I do understand that, you know, I actually can be okay with myself and be by myself and take care of what I need to. And then when I can see my friends, they're there and I'm there with them. Yeah. Um, so this is amazing. So we've talked about your journey, um, all the way up until you became sober and you, you said you have a big life now. Tell me about your life now. Tell me about, because did you, have you had any slip ups or have you been sober from, from that moment till today? Sober from that moment. Um, there have been times like it's okay. So I got sober and I actually stayed in the restaurant business and it was really funny. I got my first six years, six years of sobriety. I was sober as a bartender and people ask me how I do it. And I'm like, there's no, I, I don't under, I almost say like, I don't understand the question because I wanted to be sober more than I wanted to drink. And mm-hmm. I swore I was never going to be that person again, mm-hmm. that, that person who was, who's drunk and alcoholic. I never wanted to be that person again. So it was so important for me to stay sober. And again, like I said, I did at the time I left the restaurant business and I loved my job and I was good at it. So I, I was able to do it like, um, but during that time I worked very hard in the program. I did everything everybody taught me to do. I went to meetings every day, (laughs) maybe twice a day on days I could. Um, I did not, I knew that I would have to give things up and I was okay with that. And I think going Tell me about that commitment, um, the commitment to go every single day. What did, what does that do for you? 
Um, well, a when you're <laughs> when you're when when you first decide to get sober, everybody's first thought is, "What I'm going to do? What am I going to do now?" That never bothered me because I was like, "Okay, this is what I had a. I was like, this is what I'm going to do." My higher power was great to me when I first got. Actually, my whole life, my higher power is awesome to me. Um, but uh, I was just like, it gave me it gave, not just that it gave me something to do. It allowed me to learn and it allowed me to open up. I had to sit and listen. Mm. And um, it's such an important learning because so often, like even in prayer, we're like, please, God, please, please, please. <laughs> and you have to listen and you have to, actually, I think a big part of prayer is listening. That's actually a good point that you make that like, people are always like, please, God, please. What the program did for me was the reason how it connected me to a higher power again, because yeah, I was born and raised Catholic. I was in youth group and stuff, but I got away from that. It was just that I'm, I'm not an organized religion kind of person. Uh, But what the program did for me and with that is that it taught me how to listen to my higher power. And when I say that, I mean that instead of asking for things, I ask for strength to deal with things. I ask, or if someone is struggling themselves or there's some kind of negative feeling I have for them, I pray for good things for them. And, you know, I, I ask for patience. I ask to be kind. I ask to, I actually ask to do my higher powers will versus my own, because I know my best thinking gets me in trouble. Can I tell you what I just noticed in your telling this last part about connecting with your higher power is there was a softness in your telling it. You slowed down. You know, we talked a lot about you use your hands when you talk. We were talking about that before we went on the air. There was none of that. There's a softness about it and a beauty that I caught and a grace. There was a, a gracefulness about you when you talked about that. Like there's it, peace. That's why. There's, there's that's peace. Why when I did the 12, like, you know, going through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and coming to being able to learn about myself, what it, what it does, it's multifaceted because not only do you have to dig deep and empty yourself out and become vulnerable and everything, you have to rely on something greater than yourself, whatever that higher power is. You know, I like, I don't have this like preconceived notion of like, you know, an old guy sitting on a throne, but you know, it's nothing like that. Um, it's just, you know, I just have to know that I am not the be all and end all cause I'm not. Mm-hmm. And there's something greater than me out there that is, that is taking care of me. Like, like you said, those moments, like that doesn't happen. Or you, if you ignore that, like, as long as you're open to them, like they're gonna like that higher power is trying to take care of you. Yeah. And so and we saw that we threaded that together. It was so, it's so clear in hindsight for, you know, for many of us. And it's just so peaceful to be in that place. Mm -hmm. And it's not something you're in every day. Believe me, (laughs) you get caught up in everyday life. It happens. Um, But speaking of that, you know, I did go into the restaurant, like I was still in the restaurant business at first six years of bartending and stuff. And I stayed in that environment and I think I was there for a reason. Because I, you know, I'm very open about my sobriety and a lot of people that worked for me, worked with me, um, have come to me and asked for help or have had somebody in their life that they didn't know how to deal with because they had this and they've come to me and asked for help. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I sit there and 
help them all personally, but I can guide them in directions that can help them. You know, you can be one of those signposts along the way. Yeah. He's just like that 80 year old man was giving back yep. in that meeting that day and you caught it. And so you are offering that same thing to people that, that want your advice or, or, or are open to listening. And that's all that this is about, really. It's like, that's how I feel like that's, that's the only reason why I'm here. I don't, I don't need to be grand or anything. Like I could have stayed in the restaurant business, but it was starting to slowly. Um, it honestly, once I became a manager and the hours were even crazier and everything, it was starting to slowly not jive with my personal peace anymore. And it was starting to slowly, I felt like I was kind of drifting back to who I was. And at the time when I, you know, started to feel agitated, like irritable, discontent. Um, there was a lot going on at the same time. So um, I, because I was working so much, I tried my hardest to stay. I stay in touch with people from the program, but it was harder to get to meetings. Meetings are very, very important. Um, it helps you stay connected and helps you remind you that spiritual higher power in your life. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, uh, my parents got sick and um my, I actually, my husband and I moved in with my parents so we can save money because we were actually going to make a big move to Florida. And it never happened because a couple of months after we moved in with my parents, my mom suddenly passed. And that was back in 2018. Um, so things, things happen, you know, in sobriety, but this is, this is the beauty. Okay. So this is what happened. So I had this huge change because this job was really, again, again, I was feeling that emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical decline. So I knew I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I, because I have this higher power in my life that I know will eventually always take care of me, no matter what's going on. I know that I'll always be okay. In the end, I, like my husband had a really good job. So I was in a position where I could quit and figure out a next move. Um, you know, here's the, here, let me have you pause there for a second, because what I'm hearing is that you were listening to your life in as a sober person, you were listening to how it felt in your body at work, how like it just wasn't working for you anymore, but you were having all of these like sensations of, you know, that it was time to move on to the next thing. And I think that often we get those feelings, but we discount them. We go to numb them perhaps, <laughs> um, but, but paying attention to your life and knowing when it's time to move on to the next thing is really important and valuable. And I think your body was, was almost telling you, you were agitated, you said, and, and some other descriptive words that you used. Well, I would have never been able to see that stuff if I've never, if I never became sober, honestly. Exactly. Um, it's just, it really goes hand in hand for me. And that's why, you know, I always talk about spirituality, like somebody who does have and who is part of an organized religion can relate. And I can talk spirituality with them because it's, it is very similar. Um, but because of all the internal work you have to do with the 12 steps, if you look at the 12 steps, there is a lot of internal work and it's, and it's work. Um, it's scary. It's scary for a lot of people. Oh, it is. Yeah. Um, you're really turning that spotlight on yourself and you have to be honest. Otherwise it doesn't work. But I was never afraid of it, to be honest with you. I mean, I got nervous, but I knew that if I got all that stuff out of my system, I would be better for it. I just wanted to be so different. I wanted to be a different person so bad. 
that I was willing to do anything. And that's actually part of it is the willingness to open yourself up to these like things, to, to this higher power, to wanting to do this work. Um, so because I had that, I'm lucky yeah. because it, I was able to listen to myself. Like, you know, I, I used to be like, obviously I was very into fitness, very physically fit for a long time. And then when I became a restaurant manager and that consumed my life, you know, I ended up, you know, losing that part of me. I stopped working out and I gained a lot of weight and, you know, and it's like, that was also part of it. The physicality, I was hurting my whole body hurt, like everything. And I was like, this is it. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And that's when I was like, you know, I'm being told something, but it was like, I probably would have gotten a little bit more help sooner, but then at the same time, like I was saying, my mom got sick. Um, she, she, it was sudden and she passed away um, in Jan, February, 2018. But at the same time, my dad was going through chemo and cause he had bladder cancer. Um, so we were, we were going through that, but I was home with my husband at the house. So we were able to help him. So that was okay at the time, but was it six months after that, my grandmother passed away of a stroke. And then my dad ended up succumbing to the cancer five months after that. Um, so it was, it was kind of a rough ride. Um, but the beauty of this though, and the reason why I share that is not because it's like, you know, yes, it's sad and yes, I miss them and yes, it hurts. But not once did I think about drinking. Mm, not once did I- What a test. Yeah, not <laughs> once three, did I want three. to- do anything destructive. The only destructive thing was that this is where I know I'm an, uh, I'm an addict there and there is that chocolate became my best friend for a very long time. Still kind of is. I'm still working on that. <laughs> I, too. I love chocolate. <laughs> love chocolate. But, you know, things happen. And yeah, and it was tough, but I was able to get through it. And I was able to get help that I needed to get through it, you know, and be okay with myself. And then when you know, after that, you know, we moved, my husband and I moved out to Lake Apacon. Um, and, you know, quarantine hit and you know what, it was okay though, because I did so much work on myself that once quarantine hit, I was so okay with being by myself mm-hmm. because I'm okay with myself. I know because quarantine hit, that, that's probably why people are drinking every night because yeah. you all of a sudden have to be by yourself. And uh, I think that often we, we pack our calendars we were up living from this headspace all the time. We're planning and kind of moving, moving, moving. And the pandemic really had, it was like a slap in the face to slow down and, and sort of, you know, how many people did you see outside in nature when you were driving your car around all of a sudden, you know, people yep. were looking for peace yep. <laughs> and having to find it outside. And um, so, so that's amazing. Um, so tell me about the work that you do now. You, you stretch people. They're called Kika Stretch Studios. And it is, and I like it because it, this is definitely, it jives more with, you know, what I am about because the stretching, like stretching your body, it's also a part of working out like all of this, like just doing good for your body. Um, but the stretching is very, since it's very gentle, it's actually very therapeutic, not just for the body. If you have body pains or whatever you're going through, if you really listen to the coach that you're working with, they really teach you how to relax and let go. And that's something that people just don't know how to do. And that's why I love doing it. I love helping people to get to that point where I can see them just like, because we, we do everything on a mat. 
So it's not even like there's no tables, nothing like that. It's on a mat. And I love when they're laying there and you just see them melt into the mat. And I'm just like, finally, because everybody's always so worked up and I get it. And I understand because I can get like that all the time. Because, you know, like I said, I'm not perfect. This is not, you know, I look at the contrast in from the this crazy restaurant business where you were busy on every weekend, every, you know, holiday and on and on and and the fast pace of that, the long hours. And now, like deep breath in, you're you're in this place where you're teaching people how to let go. Yep. It's amazing, right? You're taking the gift that you were given through becoming sober and offering it through this sort of stretch, release, calming, be here now exercise. And it's such a passive way to do it because believe me, there's very, 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 very few clients that know, you know, my story. And it's just like such a good way for me to be able to like help people in that offset of a way of like, you know, where I learned to find peace in certain ways, how I can get them to find some peace in a different way, because it's, there's only, there's very few clients that I tell. I mean, because, you know, there's a time and a place as much as I am open and I never mind telling people that, you know, my story or that I'm an alcoholic because of, like I said before, it helps. Sometimes it helps people because they don't know where to turn. Yeah. Um, but you know, stuff like that, it's not like, you know, it's, it, it's not like that comes up in conversation. It's more like if I'm, if I become very close with some of my clients, I, I would call friends, okay. you know, and it's, it's few, it's not all of them. I and do. That's how we them. met through one of your clients yes. that has been sort of a friend who, who connected us and said, you know, that I'd love for you to share your story in this way. And usually the people that learn about this side of me are the people that are more open to being open, open to, you know, you know, different avenues of just peace and relaxation in general. So those are the people that I end up opening to eventually. Yeah. Well, what a transformation from, you know, the beginning of your story until the, you know, into where you've ended up and where you work. I asked you what your words to live by are. And you said that no matter what is happening in your life, that you'll get through it and that you will be a better person for it. Yeah. And did you make that up for yourself? Like, are those words of wise words that you got somewhere else? Or is that sort of just like your personal mantra? I don't think anybody, honestly, when people like have personal mantras, or whatever, I don't think anybody really ever makes this stuff up themselves. I think they hear these things along the way. There's a whole, I have a whole bunch of them. That's why that, that was a struggle with the mantra because, um, like, you know, I have a few of them, but that's the biggest one, because as you can tell with my story, no matter what happened, I've become, I've learned and I've become a better person for it. Um, but I have a few that like, you know, people have said like that. I'm pretty sure I've heard that along the way. You know what I mean? Like, I don't recall if I have, like, there's a few, like everything will be okay. I do believe in that. I do believe that everything happens for a reason. You know, what would you say about how you felt when you were a younger woman about, you know, feeling like you didn't quite fit in or you were a little off or, you know, you were, you were using words like that. Um, how do you feel now? Okay. So, <laughs> um, I actually, I, I call it, I mean, this sounds negative, but I love it. I call it embracing the weird. Okay. Uh, I don't mind. i like, I actually, I don't mind that. Like, you know, if I make a phone call, I'm awkward. It is. 
You know what I mean? Like I, I that's why I don't like talking on the phone because I do get awkward, <laughs> but I'm like, it is. That's why I prefer personal, like, you know, face-to-face conversations. Um, but like, you know, I always call myself a little bit of a geek because I love it. Like I love books. I love to read. I love Harry Potter. I love Stephen King. Like I love, you know, and I love colors just like, and it's also like, I'm a walking contradiction. I can like do whatever and be cool with it. And like, you know, but back then I was always like, oh, somebody's not going to like me because of this. Now it's like, I don't really care. Well, it sounds <laughs> like you weren't embracing it. And now you're embracing your, your, your belovedness. Yeah. You know, I'm okay with it. And, and here's the other thing too, is there is no normal. What is normal? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We all think that there's some normal and we put it, we're trying to put ourselves in a box that doesn't exist. But what I'm hearing is that you couldn't even look at the girl back then and the woman now you're, you're embracing all of your quirky geekness and all of the things that you thought were odd or off before are actually now make the whole of you. That's your gifts. It's, it's, it's who you are. It's your beauty. And I love it. I do. I just, it's, it's, I'm totally fine with it. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your journey and for, um, you know, being vulnerable and, and telling your story in, in this capacity today. Um, if there were uh, words of wisdom that you would share with somebody who might be listening, that's thinking about getting sober, that's thinking about a new way of living, um, what would you offer? Just basically don't be afraid to reach out. Because everybody's always so afraid to ask for help. There are places that you can go to that are safe. That if you don't want anybody, let's say your family or your friends knowing, there are people you can call. There are websites you can visit that are safe, that people don't, you don't necessarily have to say who you are per like, but they, you can get help. Don't be afraid of it. And even if you don't think you're an alcoholic, if you just think you're drinking too much or anything still reach out because you never know and just like you said that when you drank and hung around with people in the restaurant business you could hide it because they were all doing the same thing the people that you were with in that particular moment in time it's the same thing with sobriety is that the the way you're feeling about being afraid of reaching out and talking about somebody who might be listening is that there are millions of people that feel the same way. And so, oh, yes, yes. You are not so, alone. That's what I'm saying. You're not alone. And so that in, you know, just like I couldn't, I'm not an alcoholic, so I couldn't coach someone who's, who's, mm-hmm. you know, an alcoholic wants to talk to another alcoholic or another former alcoholic for advice, because you've walked in their shoes, you have this advice. And so if somebody is on the fence and wondering look, there's, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of people who could guide you and bring you towards the light and towards sort of what you were saying, a different person than you were back then. You're, it's like night and day. I almost saw like, I almost had like this yin and yang, kind of like that black and white circle image when you were talking about your life before and after it's so bright now, even your personality and seeing your big smile and, and to what you described about, you know, not loving yourself and now loving yourself. Well, it's so dark there. Yeah, it is. It's just so dark there. And people don't realize how dark it is until they actually step into the light. Mm, that's perfect. Well, thanks again for joining me. It, it was really quite the pleasure to, uh, to meet you 
and um, for you to share your story with me. So I thank you. And I wish you all the best. Thank you. This was such a good experience for me. I'm Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and you have been listening to Talking Joy, talks that help you realize your value while creating authentic connections with others. For more information about our talk today or to get in touch, you can find us at TalkingJoy.org. And to keep the encouragement going, you can also follow Talking Joy on Instagram and Facebook. Simple, joyful, fun. Thanks for listening. This is Talking Joy.